Well, it's so nice to be with you tonight. Happy Valentine's Day. It's the day we set aside for love, right? But you know, for our God, every day is Valentine's Day because his love is always the same. It never changes. He's, he never gets annoyed. He doesn't get bored with us or tired of us. His love is always extravagant. And that's what we're talking about this month, right? God's extravagant love. So our foundation scriptures for this series are in um, 1 John 3, verse 1 through 3. And I'm going to be reading from the Amplified 2015 tonight. So here's what it says. See what an incredible quality of love the Father has shown to us that we would be permitted to be named and called and counted the children of God. And so we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, we are even here and now children of God. Aren't you glad he didn't say someday in the sweet by and by? We are even now children of God. And it is not yet made clear what we will be after his coming. Can't wait for that day. But we know that when he comes and is revealed, we will be as his, as his children, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is in all his glory. Can you imagine we're going to be able to be in his presence, in his glory, see him for who he really is. And everyone who has this hope confidently placed in him, purifies himself just as he is pure, holy, undefiled, and guiltless. So do you have that hope, that confident hope in that tonight that Jesus is going to be revealed and we're going to be like him? But right now we are the children of God if you have made Jesus the Lord of your life. Another scripture that was our foundation scripture was 1 John 4, 7 through 11 and verse 16. And this time I'm reading, oh, Amplified 2015 again. Beloved, let us unselfishly love and seek the best for one another. For love is from God and everyone who loves others is born of God and knows God through personal experience. Our loving others helps us to know God better. Um, you know, the, um, the, in the Gospels it says, they will know us by our love, right? And here it's saying it helps uh, it, that we know God through personal experience. The one who does not love has become acquainted with God, does not and never did know him, for God is love. He's the originator of love, and it is an enduring attribute of his nature. By this, the love of God was displayed in us, and that God has sent his one and only begotten son, the one who is 
truly unique, the one, only one of his kind into the world so that we might live through him. Now, verse 16, we have come to know by personal observation and experience and have believed with deep, consistent faith the love which God has for us. God is love. And that's what's so important for us as we, as we study this month. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides continually in him. God is love. So tonight I want to look at a parable that shows us the extravagant love that daddy has for us. And it's found in Luke 15, verse 11 through 32. I'm reading from the New King James Version. Then he, Jesus, said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his field to feed swine, to feed pigs. You know, to a Jewish person, they don't, uh, uh, the pig is an unclean animal. This was very degrading for this boy. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. And no one gave him anything. I wonder where all his friends were that he spent his money on. And all his friends that were there for him when he had money. And now there's no one, right? But when he came to himself. Verse 17 in the Amplified 2015 says, But when he finally came to his senses. I love that because you know what? We, um, all of us who have made Jesus the Lord of their life, at some point came to our senses. We find it, our eyes were open and we said, why am I living like this when I could be living in the love of God? So he came to his senses and he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. In the Amplified Classic, verse 20, it said, So he got up and came to his own father. 
But while he was still a long way off, I always love to think of that. The father wasn't waiting for him to walk in the door. He wasn't waiting for him to even walk onto the property. He was looking fervently for him. He was looking expectantly for him, for him to come back. And this wasn't the only day he was looking. He was looking for his son. He was always aware that his son, he wanted his son to come home. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with pity and tenderness for him. And he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him fervently. His father was not only waiting for him, he came and kissed him and hugged him. And I mean, I'm sure this boy did not smell the best after feeding swine, but he came and he embraced him and kissed him, right? Back to the New King James Version. And the son said to him, Father, he's got his whole speech ready and he starts off, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father interrupts him, stops him, doesn't want to hear the whole speech he says to his servants, bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, put sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. In uh, verse 23 in the Amplified Classic, it says, and bring out that wheat fat and calf, the one we we waiting to have the big party for. Bring them out, kill it, and let us revel and feast and be happy and make merry. God loves a party, and he has a great reason to have a party here. Remember every time someone gets saved, we always say, you know, the angels rejoice and heaven is so happy. Well, I mean, this t tells you how God looks at a person who comes back. They revel and feast and are happy and make merry. In the Amplified 2015, it says, let us invite everyone and feast and celebrate God is so happy when the lost sinner comes back, when the, when the son comes home again. Back to the New King James Version. For this, my son was dead. He's alive again. He was lost and he is found. And they began to be merry. Now, his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. He heard the celebration. So he called one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Amplified 2015 verse 28 says, but the elder brother became angry and deeply resentful. I think those words are so important. Deeply resentful. Back to the New King James, therefore his father came out and he pleaded with him. So you, 
This is such an amazing thing. You see the love that the father had to this son as well. He goes out to him. He seeks his son. He pleads with him. You know, both sons were wrong. Both sons did the wrong thing. But the father pleaded with them to come back, to, to be restored to fellowship and relationship. So he answered and he said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours who uh, came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now the older brother, of course, is religion. Religion is never happy with daddy's extravagant love because in religious mind, love is earned. It's never um, unconditional. It's earned. Look at what he says. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time. Really? Never? Wow. That's pretty amazing that he could be so uh, self-righteous that he would never remember. I have messed up too, right? But a religious person is going to always look at the other person and say, well, I'm not that bad. Why should his dad be happy for this son's return and he reminds his father of every bad thing the son did. And that's religion also. It will remind God of what that other person did. God is not interested in reminding him of other people's faults, other people's missteps, their errors. God is a forgiving, wonderful extravagant loving father who always wants to embrace and not push away because of sin or transgression. He wants repentance, of course, but that repentance opens the door for that extravagant love. The father does not keep records of wrongs, but religion always does, right? Notice in verse 30, the elder brother calls the boy his son, God, uh, daddy's son. But in verse 32, the dad calls him his brother. He reminds him there's a connection here. He's not just my son, he's your brother. And that's very important. So, I would like to look at Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. We're going to look at this from the Amplified 2015. And we're going to see this extravagant love. This love that the prodigal 
uh, was shown by his father. It's going to show us exactly the same love for us. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, Amplified 2015. And you, he made alive when you were spiritually dead and separated from him because of your transgressions and sins. We were separated. We were, we were dead. And he made us alive. Our transgressions and sins in, once, in which you once walked. You were following the ways of this world. Influenced by this present age. In accordance with the prince of the power of the air. Satan. The spirit who was now at work in the disobedient, the unbelieving who fight against the purposes of God. Now in the Amplified Classic, this verse says, in which at one time you walked habitually, you were following the course and fashion of this world, were under the sway of the tendency of this present age, following the prince of the power of the air. You were obedient to and under the control of the demon spirit that still constantly works in the sons of disobedience, the careless, the rebellious, the unbelieving who go against the purposes of God. Doesn't that kind of remind you of the prodigal son? He's off, he's rebellious, he's doing his own thing. And we were like that. We were, we were away from God. We said, you know what? Don't want anything to do with you. But God, extravagant love, never stopped looking for us. Back to the Amplified 2015. Among these unbelievers, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, our behavior governed by the sinful self, indulging the desires of human nature without the Holy Spirit and the impulses of the sinful mind. We were by nature children under the sentence of God's wrath, just like the rest of mankind. You got to remember what happens when you get born again is that your spirit, your spirit becomes alive. You were dead in sin. We all were when we were born on this earth. But we, um, we were living apart from God under the wrath of God because of our sin nature. See, some people say, well, I'm a good person. No, you have a sin nature. You might do good things, but you have a sin nature and you have to be born again. A new nature in God's family. You're now made one with him. But God, being so very rich in mercy because of his great and wonderful love with which he loved. Extravagant love. It's all about God. It's not about you. It's not about what you did or what you didn't do. It's about God's rich love, his mercy. Where, but God, 
I got to read it again. God be so very rich in mercy because of his great and wonderful love with which he loved us. When we were, even when we were spiritually dead and separated from him because of our sin, he made us spiritually alive together with Christ. In other words, born again. You have now have God's nature in you, not the sin nature that we inherited from Adam, but God's nature, which we inherited when we made Jesus the Lord of our lives. He made us spiritually alive together with Christ, for by his grace, his undeserved favor and mercy, you have been saved from God's judgment. See, it's in the rebirth of our spirit that we're saved from God's judgment. And he raised us up together with Jesus when we, when we, when we believed and he seated us with him in the heavenly places because we are in Christ Jesus. And he did this so that in the ages to come, he might clearly show the immeasurable, unsurpassing riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus by providing for our redemption. See, I mean, if you can just grasp the fact that God's extravagant love is what it's all about. It's not about us. He loved us before we could possibly love him. He was the father looking for us to come to, to start home. He was the father who runs out to greet us. For it is by grace. God's remarkable compassion and favor drawing you to Christ that you have been saved, actually delivered from judgment and given eternal life through faith. And this salvation, listen, is not of yourself. It's not through your own effort, but it is the undeserved, gracious gift of God, not as a result of your works, nor your attempts to keep the law, so that no one will be able to boast or take credit in any way for his salvation. See, the older brother in the parable we just read was boasting in his righteousness and comparing himself to his younger brother. I didn't sin like that. I don't know if you ever noticed, but religious people always compare themselves to someone who they've consider worse than themselves, not to Mother Teresa or someone who's, who's doing it, you know, what we consider to be good, good, good. They're comparing themselves to some guy who's a murderer or whatever. That's what religion does. It's not looking to, it's not looking, it, it looks at the inside and says, well, I didn't mean to do that. Well, I, I, you know, I know my 
I know my thoughts and why I did what I did. I don't know what, why he did what he did, but I don't really care. He's worse than I am. But see, it's not about our deeds, and it's not about what we, um, how good we consider ourselves. It's all about God's extravagant love, which gave us the way of salvation. It gave us the way of escaping. The way, the truth, the life, Jesus Christ. And he paid for our sins. And he made us born again, new, brand new, so that we could live in God's presence forever. Wow, what an extravagant love. Um, in the Amplified 2015, back to the Amplified 2015, it says, for we are his workmanship, his own masterwork, a work of art created in Christ Jesus, reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, ready to be used for good works, which God prepared for us beforehand, taking paths which he set so that we would walk in them, living the good life. Don't you love it? God wants us to live the good life. And when we're walking on the path that he's prepared for us, it is a good life, which he prearranged and made ready for us. I wanted to finish up tonight with a very detailed description of what love is. And therefore, because God is love, we read that in 1 John, it's a detailed description of God, how he acts, his characteristics. And um, when we see who God really is, first of all, we fall more in love with him. And second of all, we realize that he has only good for us. He is a good God. His love is extravagant. So I'm going to look at 1 Corinthians 13, and it's verse 4 through 8, but I'm going to read from the Rick Renner expanded version. And we're going to kind of go through this slowly so that you see what an amazing, amazing extravagant love our father has and is actually he is extravagant love so love patiently and passionately bears with others for as long as patience is needed and we see this right in the parable of the good samaritan uh, of the uh, prodigal son we see this because his one son goes off and, and does his own thing, and he patiently waits for him to come back. And the other son is self-righteous and doesn't want to forgive his brother, and he patiently pleads with him as well. Love doesn't demand others to be like itself. Rather, it is so focused on the needs of others that it bends over backwards to become what others need it to be. Aren't you so glad that Jesus on this earth paid the price so we could be healed, paid the price so that we could have 
abundant life. Aren't you glad that he always thinks of us and, and tries to always has the best for us? Love is not ambitious. It's not self-centered or so consumed with itself that it never thinks of the needs or desires that others possess. Do you know that God is always thinking about you? What do we need? What does she need? What does he need? God is always thinking about us. It's an amazing thing because it just religiously, we just don't think that way, right? It does not go around talking about itself all the time, constantly exaggerating and embellishing the facts to make it look more important in the sight of others. Love does not behave in a prideful, arrogant, haughty, superior, snooty, snobbish, or clannish manner. I love this because when Pastor was teaching on Sunday, he talked about how Jesus humbled himself. See, love is humble. Um, the enemy and all that he does is prideful and arrogant, thinks of itself. It's not thinking of others. Think of our politicians, a lot of them these days. They're not thinking of you. They're thinking for themselves. And they're supposed to be, as a politician, you're supposed to be thinking of others. God's kingdom rule is so opposite of the way the world operates, the way the, the world's political system operates. There's just, there's no comparison. When you know how God acts, you see what is not godly at all. Love is not rude and discourteous. It is, it is not careless or thoughtless, nor does it carry on in a fashion that would be considered insensitive to others. Love is always polite and thoughtful and thinking of others. Love does not manipulate situations or scheme and devise methods that will twist situations to its own advantage. God does not twist situations. He's, he does not manipulate situations or schemes. Religion might tell you that he does, but he doesn't. He's always, he always acts in love. Love does not in, deliberately engage in actions or speak words that are so sharp they cause an ugly or violent response. I'm sure you've spoken a word you knew would light a fire <laughs> and you know you shouldn't have said it. It, it doesn't deliberately speak things that are, that are sharp or ugly. It speaks love, right? It speaks peace. Love does not deliberately keep records of wrongs or past mistakes. And we saw this again in the prodigal of the parables, uh, of the parable of the prodigal son. We saw this again. The father didn't keep records of wrongs. Religion did, but the father was quick to forgive, quick to, to welcome his son back. He didn't keep record of wrongs. 
love does not feel overjoyed when it sees an injustice done to someone else, but is elated, thrilled, ecstatic, and overjoyed with the truth. Love protects, shields, guards, covers, conceals, and safeguards people from exposure. Oh, aren't you glad that our daddy protects us, shields us, um, covers over, doesn't bring us to exposure, but brings us to uh, covering over and hiding um, so that we can feel safe and protected. Love strains forward with all its might to believe the very best in every situation. God is always looking, believing for the very best in our situation. It always expects and anticipates the best in others and the best for others. You know, God always thinks the best of you, always looks, believes that you're going to do the right thing. God is always believing the best. Love never quits, never surrenders, never gives up. Aren't you glad? It means love will never lose. And, you know, the world tries to tell you that, you know, things are getting bad and, and you know, evil's going to win. Evil will never win. Love always wins. Love never disappoints, never fails, never lets anyone down. Tonight, I want to pray for us before we um, end our time together that we will see God for who he really is, that we won't allow a religious spirit to steal from us and lie to us about who our daddy really is. He loves us with extravagant love. And then I also want to just pray that we'll be able to show this love, this extravagant love, to others. There's a really good scripture in Philippians 1, 9 through 11 um, that you can pray over yourself and for others that, um, that we just learn to um, uh, let God's love increase more and more and that we learn to um, walk more and develop that love in us and learn to um, to uh, let God's love flow through us and we learn to experience that love more and more. So let's pray. Let's uh, just believe God for change in our lives and in our hearts as we see him for who he really is. Father, thank you. Daddy, thank you that you are the love you are love. You are extravagant love. We saw it tonight in the parable of the prodigal son. We saw it in Ephesians. That your love is so amazing. It's beyond words. And we just are so grateful that you love us that much. And Lord, that you've placed your love in us and Lord, I just thank you that you are helping us to abound yet more and more. 
and let love extend to its fullest development and knowledge and all keen insight in our lives. I thank you, Lord, that you direct us and guide us. Thank you. Thank you for just birthing that love in us and, and helping us to grow it up and, and be children of this God who was such has such extravagant love. We love you so much. Thank you, Daddy, for your word. Thank you for always bringing us to new understanding. Thank you for opening our eyes to see you for who you really are. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, tonight, if you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, and if you don't know this God who is extravagant love, I just... I just want to give you that opportunity tonight. Being born again is so simple. It's as simple as ABCs. Religion has complicated salvation, but God says that anyone who calls on the name of his son, Jesus, will be saved. Number A, we need to admit that we are a sinner and we need a savior. B, we need to believe that Jesus died for our sins. And C, we need to call upon the name of the Lord. So if you want to do that tonight, just um, repeat this prayer after me. Mean it from your heart. It's not just words you say. It's something that you have to believe in your heart. So if you will pray this prayer with me, just say, Jesus, I believe that you came to earth to save me, a sinner. I believe you died on the cross as a sinless sacrifice for me. I believe you rose on the third day that you're now seated in heaven with my Father God. Thank you. Today, I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. Amen. Well, congratulations if you made that decision tonight. Write to us and let us know. We have a package we'd love to send to you. It's just information that will help you in your new walk with the Lord. Thank you for digging into the word with me tonight. Let me bless you from the word of God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord protect you, sustain you, and guard you. The Lord make his face shine upon you with favor and be gracious to you, surrounding you with loving kindness. The Lord lift up his countenance, his face upon you with divine approval and give you peace, a tranquil heart and life. We confess that we are the head and not the tail. We are above only and not beneath, that in all our ways and endeavors, we are greatly blessed highly favored, deeply loved. We are blessed to be a blessing. Well, have a happy, happy thanks. Uh, no, it's not Thanksgiving. It's Valentine's Day. Have a happy Valentine's Day. It's actually almost over. But anyway, um, hope to see you on Sunday at, nine and, or at either the 9 or 11 service. God bless. <laughs>